This morning's scripture comes from Mark 1, 21 through 45. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. You may go ahead and have a seat. It's great to be with you again this morning, family. We are, uh, as you no doubtedly uh, know by that passage, going to continue in our study in the Gospel of Mark this morning. Uh, We've been in Mark for the past few weeks. Uh, We've uh, seen the kingdom of God be inaugurated. We see Jesus show up on the scene. We see his baptism. We see God the Father speak over him, the Spirit descending upon Jesus. We've seen Jesus himself uh, speak his first words of how to enter into this kingdom, that this is a kingdom uh, that is entered into by believing the gospel and by repenting of sins. Last week, Chris uh, preached on the first disciples being called into this kingdom with Jesus, uh, the ones that Jesus would be with. And this week, uh, in this passage, uh, we're really beginning in the Gospel of Mark to see what this kingdom is all about. 
What you're going to find in Mark, and we've talked a little bit about this, is that Mark, uh, more than any of the other gospel writers, uh, doesn't give us a whole lot of the content of Jesus' teaching or even the content of his prayers, but what we see in Mark is action. We see Jesus doing many things. Even in the passage that we're in today, we see Jesus doing and showing us many things. And so Mark is very much of a, don't, ju- don't just tell me, maybe some of you are like this, don't just tell me, but show me. Show me what this kingdom of God is like. And we're going to begin that journey this morning as we see Jesus immediately in a synagogue teaching. Now, uh, I just finished a, a, a book uh, that I really enjoyed. It's on the de-churching crisis here in the West. Uh, if you've never heard that term, de-churching or the de-church, these are people, maybe even people that you are close with, that have been a part of a church for some part of their life and now are no longer a part of a church. Probably a few people come to our mind when we think about that. The author said... I thought this was interesting, something to consider, and maybe you agree with this. The author of this book said that we live in a culture today that is less concerned or is less about whether or not Christianity is true, but more about is Christianity, is Jesus good and beautiful? And so what he's saying is that there are many who believe that God is real, that God is true, that Jesus did come, but there are more people in today's culture that would tend to have a hard time with whether or not Christianity is good and if it's beautiful. And I think what we'll see in this passage, and certainly as we continue in our study of Mark, that this is indeed a kingdom that is not only true, but is good and beautiful. So as we kind of think about these things together, let us go to the Lord in prayer and we'll begin in Mark 1 verse 21. Father, so grateful once again to be with you and your people. I pray that you would help us. Help us to see you more clearly, Jesus, through this passage, that we, we do see you. We see you at work in your kingdom, and we pray that we would be convicted by the Holy Spirit, that we would see the authority in which you teach, that the word of God goes forth and does not return void, that we see you praying to the Father, and that might we be a people that, that desire to be with our good Father in prayer and communion. And we see that you have the compassionate touch to heal. Uh, may, we, may we, as people who uh, were once far from you on the outskirts and on the, on the outside, uh, knowing that we've been brought in, be a people that seek to do that with others. Uh, we are needing you and so, uh, so much power uh, to come into our hearts and to come into this place and, and show us more of your kingdom. And so we just ask that you would do that in this time. We love you and it's in Christ we pray. Amen. If you have uh, the handout that you received on the way in, uh, as always, there's a place for you to take notes on that handout. And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the main idea, uh, which is King Jesus shows amazing authority and affection. King Jesus shows amazing authority and affection. What I want to do this morning is really highlight from this passage that Jason read to us, uh, I want to highlight three things that we find Jesus doing and three things that uh, he is doing up against 
three different tyrannies. Uh, So he's doing three different things, but he's doing those things against three different tyrannies. And so let's begin with the first one. The first one is that he teaches with authority against the tyranny of Satan. That's the first heading this morning, our first point. He teaches with authority against the tyranny of Satan. In this story, we clearly see that Jesus enters into a synagogue and he begins to teach and he teaches with such authority that it leaves everybody there in amazement, in astonishment. Uh, That word there is not just a, a casual, oh, that was pretty cool. This was a visceral, I've never seen anything like this before. Who is this that he teaches with such authority What's clear from this passage, we can infer from this passage, is that the scribes who would be normally teaching in the synagogue did not have this type of authority with their teaching. The people have never seen anything like this. They're not used to this type of teaching. Now, what Mark's doing right right off the bat here with this very first story of Jesus encountering uh, an unclean spirit. We see a man immediately after Jesus begins coming in and teaching at the synagogue that a man with an unclean spirit comes in. And what we see here right off the bat that is that Jesus is entering into a cosmic battle. There's a cosmic war against Satan. And so it might be personal in its application that this kingdom is coming in in the midst of a cosmic conflict. It might be personal to us, might be personal to this man with an unclean spirit, but what we're seeing right off the bat is that it's cosmic in scope, that Jesus is coming in doing war with, with the seed of the serpent, with the kingdom of Satan. Jesus has come to bind the strong man. He, he will say that later on in Mark chapter 3, that he has come to bind the strong man, Satan. And he'll do this as we go through the gospel of Mark. He, do, he does this by casting out demons, by healing sicknesses, by restoring hearing and sight. Uh, what we're seeing here in all these stories is the recreation of the world. The world is in desperate need of redemption and recreating, and Jesus, by the authority given to him by the Father, the very word of God made flesh, is at war with Satan, and we see the recreation of the world. Jesus teaches this unclean spirit cries out. He cries out because he, he knows who Jesus is. He says that in the passage. He says, I know who you are. And so immediately, as Jesus teaches, he's interrupted by this unclean spirit, by Satan. Jesus tells the unclean spirit to come out of this man, and it obeys and flees. What we we maybe don't see immediately in this particular story, at least not explicitly, but what what is there is that implicitly we see that there is a conflict also with the scribes and the Pharisees. We're going to see this really develop even more next week as Jesus begins to uh, go out and about even more, and we'll see the scribes and the Pharisees question Jesus more and more, all the way, of course, to the point where they want him to die. But what we see here is that the scribes and the Pharisees are essentially aligned with the kingdom of Satan. 
We see that because what's clear in this story is that this unclean spirit causing a scene has never happened before while the scribes were teaching. We don't get the sense as we read this passage that this has ever happened before. And why would it have never happened before? It's because Satan never saw the need to disrupt the scribes' teaching because their teaching did not come with the power and authority of God and his word. In fact, what we're going to see in Mark is that the Pharisees and scribes were not in the business of truly teaching the word of God. The scribes and the Pharisees were not truly teaching the law of God. What they were teaching, and what we'll read later on in Mark, is traditions of man, not traditions of God. They were, they were loading on their own traditions of, of men that came before them that were not of God. They had hearts that were far from God. They were whitewashed tombs. And so their teaching didn't cause Satan to come in to disrupt them. This has never happened before, only until Jesus comes with his authority. Let me ask a question. What do the things that are taught to us do to us? What do the things that are taught to us do to us? We're not simply robots that that gather information and and process it in a certain way and, and don't have any type of effect or reaction to the things that we are taught. We're shaped and formed by the things that we're taught. We're shaped and formed by all the various subcultures that we're a part of. Uh, Maybe it's what you're taught at school, what you're taught at church, what you're taught in your home. All these various subcultures are doing something to us. They're forming us. They're shaping us. And what's clear here in this first section of our passage is that the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees had left the people incredibly misshapen incredibly ill-formed. They were not exposed to the true word of God. And so when they heard it, when they heard Jesus, the word of God, with the authority that he had to teach, when they heard Jesus teaching, they were amazed. They were astonished. And when Satan heard it, he tried to stop it. We have a, a similar problem today. It's a spiritual formation problem. That's, ex- that's essentially what we see here from this text, is that there is a spiritual formation problem with the people. There are, are many today who teach the, not the word of God, but uh, they teach philosophies of man. They teach different psychologies of the human age. They teach different theories of man. They misinterpret Scripture. They misapply Scripture. They deny Scripture altogether. These are the types of teaching that we find. We find it on the left. We find it on the right. We hear it on podcasts. We might even hear it in churches. These are the types of teachings that have been normalized in our age. In many ways, we don't even realize that it's happening to us Because it's become such a normal thing to hear, but what we clearly see, if we zoom out a bit, if we consider the world around us, we see that so many have been left misshapen, ill-formed, deformed by the teaching of our age, by the modern sensibilities that are not of God. And whether we know it or not, we 
we long, whether you know it or not, whether, whether our neighbors that we are with in our own homes next to us, whether it's a coworker, whether it's someone you go to school with, whether they know it or not, we long to be amazed at the word of God. And we long to be amazed about the authority of Jesus, the authority of Jesus to cut through and reorient and reform souls in the way that teachings of man or of the world can never do. Just consider this man. We don't know a lot about this man. All we know is that he has an unclean spirit and he enters into the synagogue. We can infer from this passage that the man himself did not have control over his own faculties, not even in his right mind, but that what was moving him along was this power of Satan, this unclean spirit. And so we see he comes into the synagogue. Jesus teaches with such authority that he knows the word of God so perfectly because he he himself is the very word made flesh that Jesus speaks with such power that Satan flees. And this man is radically reformed into the image of who he was created to be. You see that? He comes in possessed by an unclean spirit. Jesus speaks, teaches with such authority, Satan flees. The man is radically reformed by the word of God. This is the authority of Jesus. The clear authority, even the root word of that word, of the word authority, author. This is the author of life itself. The word of God always does. The word of God isn't just is, the word of God does. In God's economy, his word is always deed. Word is deed. Radical change. The word of God goes forth and does not return void. It always accomplishes what it intends to do. It is amazing authority. Where have you seen this work in your own life? Have you seen this work in your own life? In the lives of those around you, in your family, in your friends? As believers in Jesus Christ, we have the amazing privilege of seeing this type of action by the word of God in those around us. We've seen Jesus and his word transform families and lives and maybe even entire neighborhoods depending on where you live. And sometimes, sometimes it happens just like it does in our story this morning. Sometimes the word of God goes forth and change happens in an instant. We see Satan flee and we see someone radically reformed into the image of God. What comes to mind for you, is there something in your own life that you can recall where something like this happened? Maybe it was listening to a sermon and the Spirit of God fell upon you, a word of God going forth. There was immediate conviction and repentance. Maybe it was simply in, in the quiet of your own home, reading the Bible, your daily devotional. You come across something in God's word and you feel the weight and the authority of God's word in an instant and, and you come to the end of yourself. Where have you seen this 
happen in your own life. I've had the the privilege and the honor a few times of of counseling uh, members of our church, uh, some some here at City Church, but the church we came from at Redemption Story Church. I'll I'll never forget counseling uh, a friend of mine who he and his wife were going through an incredible difficult season. Uh, He had just been diagnosed with uh, a rare abnormality with his sex chromosomes, Uh, And so what was leaving he and his wife uh, with the inability to conceive, the doctor had had revealed that it was actually uh, a malforming, a a dysfunction of his sex chromosomes. And as a man, uh, you can imagine how difficult that news was to receive for both he and his wife. He was suffering from incredible amounts of shame, He was suffering from quite a bit of confusion and guilt that they couldn't have children, and he was even suffering from uh, this idea that he wasn't a man. He he was confused. He, He didn't know what to make of this. Does this mean I'm not a man? And so we had met several times, and it was very difficult, and uh, wept with them, but the, still at the end of our time, it just didn't seem like uh, that there was breakthrough. I mean, maybe you've been there before where you meet with someone and you so desire for the Spirit of God to fall in a powerful way for them to see truth and to be changed. And one afternoon as we met, I, I simply uh, at the end of our time read Genesis 1:27, which says this, you know it so well. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And that uh, was enough in that moment to bring this man, my friend, uh, to tears. Uh, The spirit fell upon him in ways that I have rarely seen. I I saw in in many ways uh, a change in his physical uh, disposition and appearance. I I sensed that Satan and all of his lies and all of the confusion that had infiltrated this man leave in an instant. Now, Jeff Jameson did not do that. The word of God did. That's the authority the word of God has. That's the power it has in our lives. So maybe we read this story and we think, and it really would be cool if, if there was an exorcism here on Sunday morning. And it, this seems like uh, something that was really impactful to, to walk into the synagogue and to hear Jesus with this amazing teaching and this guy with a demon, is, is, it's released, it cries out. What a dramatic scene. What what would that be like to be a part of something so, so intense and dramatic? But let me assure you that the same authoritative teaching of God's word, the living word of Jesus Christ and his good gospel does something as amazing as that each time someone comes to faith, each time someone is convicted of sin from the Holy Spirit, we might not hear an audible cry of a demon, but in that moment... When you come to the end of yourself, when someone who's been far from God comes near to him, it's the same word of God. It's the same authority. Satan shudders, and with fear, he flees. It's the amazing authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus teaches with authority against the tyranny of Satan, 
And the second heading is that he talks with the father against the tyranny of the urgent. Look down at verse 35. Uh, We see that after a really busy day of ministry, we see that uh, Mark says the whole city came out clamoring for Jesus. He was casting out demons. He was healing. But Jesus, we read, rises early in the morning while it was still dark to pray. So right in the middle of all this action, all these things going on, Mark is very purposeful to include this account of Jesus taking the time to pray. If you remember uh, in the second week of our study in Mark, when we looked at the baptism of Jesus, and we uh, remarked that what we heard, and one of the voices, the most important voice that we heard in that moment was the voice of God the Father declaring over his son, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. And I said at that time, it's important to see that what we've been invited into is a love story. And the love story is, Eternally, a father loving his son. God the Father, from eternity past and forevermore, loving his son. And here, in this passage, Mark wants to remind us of that fact. That Jesus, in the midst of a busy ministry day, in the midst of a busy ministry season, is taking time to commune with his father who loves him and who he loves. Sweet communion, the vitalness, the vitality of prayer. But uh, what we see here is that Peter, uh, who's never missing the opportunity to be Peter, uh, says, Jesus, what are you doing? In fact, Peter comes to Jesus with the tyranny of the urgent. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. There's a lot going on. We don't want to miss out. There's, there's so much to do on your checklist, on your to-do list. And, and Jesus has retreated to pray to the Father. Peter comes in and goes, Jesus, there's a ton of people looking for you. What are you doing here? Do you not realize all that there is to do? It's time to capitalize on your popularity. We've got to strike while the iron is hot. We've got to get more views on your YouTube channel. You need more followers on X. This is the time. What are you doing? What are you doing here praying? And Jesus, who has been willing to cast out demons and to heal, we've just read that, read that he has been doing this. Maybe he has healed hundreds of people the day before. But in this instant, he goes in a different direction. And we should ask the question, why? Why would would Jesus not take this opportunity to heal hundreds of more people? Well, he says here in this passage that he knows that his mission is the teaching of the word of God and that he's been sent to other parts of Galilee. And so that is what he has come to do. And what Jesus knows is that if he were to heed Peter's tyranny of the urgent in this moment, the disciples would be tempted to pursue a man-centered motivation in ministry. See, there's a, there's a great opportunity here for Jesus. There's a great temptation that Jesus knows 
that if he would have left God in prayer and gone, as Peter suggested, to heal and cast out demons with all these people that are waiting for him and looking for him, he would have indicated that prayer with God is not as important as building popularity. Jesus could have healed tons more people, could have casted out dozens of more demons, but Jesus would not let misunderstanding over the nature of his kingdom and man-centered motivations win the day. In this case, what was more important for the disciples and really more more important for us in this moment is to see Jesus talking with his father and then moving on to other cities in Galilee, which is what he was sent by his father to do. So what this means is that sometimes there are good things we are tempted to do, but they are not the best things. There are good things, all the time good things, that we are tempted to do, but are they the best things? So often that has to do with with our motivations Are our motivations Godward, desiring to honor and please and glorify the Lord? Or are our motivations man-centered like Peter's are here? Peter's only interested in in developing Jesus' ministry and his popularity. He's around this guy. He's in the inner circle. How cool would this be? Look at the following we're getting. Where are your motivations? I had lunch with a, a friend of mine recently who's a, a pastor in, in Dallas. And right now, uh, his role does not have him preaching on Sunday mornings. And so he's in a different uh, season of life in his ministry. Uh, but he was telling me that the lead pastor of this church asked him recently to uh, preach on a Sunday morning. And my friend said, no, even though... He is an incredibly gifted, experienced preacher. Even though he would faithfully preach the gospel of God and and God would use him in powerful ways and has used him in powerful ways from the pulpit, he knew it would not be good for his heart. He told me, he confessed to me that in this season of life, uh, where he is, where God has him, if he were to say yes to preaching on Sunday, he would feel the great temptation to put his hope in the approval of others and the applause of the congregation instead of concentrating on what he senses God calling to him to do today. He said no to a good thing and yes to the thing that God has called him to do, which is always the best thing. Our wrong motivations Maybe it's the tyranny of the urgence. We all live busy lives. I don't know what it is for you, but do you sense that there is something that's pulling you away from time with God in prayer? Do you feel like there's something pulling you away from what he is calling you to do? He has a call on your life. Do you feel like something is pulling away, uh, pulling you away from those things? Friends, how, how will we know what he is calling us to do if we don't spend time with him in prayer. It's it's here in this passage, Jesus is showing us how to work hard unto the Lord. Jesus is not kicked back. He's not uh, resting all day. He, He is busy. We see the busyness of Jesus. We see a man of action, but he also is showing us how not to give in to the tyranny of the urgent, but to patiently cultivate and enjoy our relationship with the Father. 
and in enjoying a relationship with the Father, with basking in the glow of this love story of God the Father looking upon you, united with Jesus Christ, you are beloved in prayer, in communion with the Father. We, we enjoy that and we get further affirmation to what he has called us to do. You're just spending time with him. Finally, Jesus touches with compassion against the tyranny of shame. This is the third heading. Jesus touches with compassion against the tyranny of shame. Look down at verse 40. I'll read uh, verse 40 through 42 again for us. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. King Jesus shows amazing authority, and here he shows amazing affection. This is an authority with true compassion. This man was dealing with the physical pain and discomfort of leprosy, but this man likely had his greatest suffering, not from the physicality of this disease, but from the great deal of shame and suffering due to the alienation from other people. You see, the, the laws in the Old Testament, if you read through uh, the book of Leviticus, for example, that there are laws uh, that, that clearly laid out what someone with leprosy was to do. And even more importantly, and, and more sadly, what they were not to do. And a person who was a leper was not allowed to literally be around anyone. It was unlawful because of the way that leprosy was so contagious so it's very likely that this man had not had an interaction with another human being possibly for years. That the greatest suffering of this man was the shame of being unclean, of having to literally say if he came uh, near anybody, unclean, unclean. The shame of having to say that and live in that reality, possibly for years, unable to help himself. And yet, with remarkable courage, if we had more time this morning, we'd spend on the remarkable faith and courage for this man to approach another human being, much less God in flesh, to approach God. He's never been in the temple. He can't go to the temple. He approaches Jesus, kneels before him, and says, I know you can make me clean. If it's your will, you can make me clean. And we see Jesus was filled with pity. We see that word pity. We're, another word for that is uh, passion. Jesus had a visceral, gut-wrenching compassion as he looked upon this man and said, I will be clean. And not only did he say that, but what we read is that he touched this man. He touched a man who likely had not uh, felt the embrace or even just the simple touch from another human being. Jesus touches this man and declares him clean. Jesus did not have to touch this man to make him clean. He didn't have to do this. 
We've already seen Jesus speak with such authority that a demon flees a man. Jesus surely did not have to touch this man to make him clean, to heal him from leprosy. And yet, Jesus says, I'm willing to draw closer to my people, touch them with great compassion that he is willing to take on our uncleanness, our shame, to cleanse us from shame and suffering. This is who our king is. Molly and I had a great opportunity this past week uh, to be away together uh, on a retreat with other pastors and their wives. And it was an incredible week. Very thankful for this time. Uh, we, we were in a beautiful setting. We are at a beautiful beach. There was a beautiful pool. It was an amazing hotel. The beautiful blue waters. It was a wonderful week. But as I meditated on this passage, as I knew uh, what God had for us this morning in this passage, I find myself asking this week, asking God to make what we see here with this leper more beautiful in my mind. I'm surrounded by amazing things, an amazing setting, but what I was asking God was make this more beautiful in my mind. What, what would be more beautiful than a man filled with shame, his, his body literally wasting away with sores, skin peeling off, seen as gross and dangerous by the world around him, and having the king of the world offering a healing touch, an authoritative word, be clean. Is there a more beautiful place than this, where the pain of a fallen world, the guilt of our own sin and shame, the shame of being sinned against, healed in an instant by the king of the world. This man's story, this leper's story is our story, family. This is our story. We were at one point unresolvably unclean and he came to us in our shame and sin to make us clean. Some of us have come in, perhaps even as believers in Jesus Christ this morning, feeling the weight of our own sin and shame. Some of us might have come in wounded and limping. None of us have leprosy, but we, in some degree, in some form or fashion, know what it's like to walk with a certain level of shame, to have the weight of our own sin upon our shoulders, where is in your life, even in this moment, unbearable guilt or shame? And will you allow Jesus to take that from you? Maybe it's the shame of a sin that you don't even want to acknowledge has a hold on you. Maybe you've, you've put blinders on and maybe the sin itself has deceived you into thinking that this is not a part of your life, but when you have more sobriety, you realize that it is. Are you weighed down? Maybe it's the shame feeling unclean because of the abuse that someone has done to you. Maybe that abuse happened many years ago, and yet even today you would say that it feels like it was just yesterday, that shame clings so closely. Would you this morning, in faith, go to Jesus and confess that you know he can make you clean and then, in faith, would you hear him say, I will be clean? We see at the end of this passage, 
This man did not obey Jesus. Jesus had asked him not to tell anybody. He said to be quiet, to go to the priest and announce to him that you are clean, but not to speak a word to anyone. And yet we see this man uh, unable to do that. He, with great uh, zeal, goes out and speaks about it to everyone. And so what we see is that after that happens, Jesus becomes the one who is now unable to enter into town, but has to stay on the outside. Jesus has effectively traded places with this leper. We see this as a preview of what Jesus would do in his death. He'd be crucified outside the camp. He'd be crucified on the outside of the gate with all the other lepers, with the heap of trash. That's where Jesus would find himself hanging from a tree, killed as an outsider, but only so that we would be invited in. This is the compassion and affection of the cross. It's the cross that is the most beautiful place on earth. It's a cross where we stand amazed. The cross is the ultimate in amazement for us. Amazing affection, amazing compassion from Jesus Christ. And it's the cross that where we see the most amazing authoritative teaching ever known to man. The cross is the authoritative word against the tyranny of Satan. The cross is the greatest pulpit in the world. The most powerful teaching ever seen or heard is the cross of Christ. What Jesus taught from the cross truly cast out Satan decisively and forever. Jesus, our victor on the cross. All right, I want to end by remarking on a part of this text that uh, Jason read to us. If you've paid attention, you've probably noticed that we didn't speak about one particular part of this passage, and that is Jesus there beginning in verse 29. Uh, In that passage, we see him going into the house of Simon Peter's mother-in-law who lay on the bed with a fever. And what we see is that Jesus takes her by the hand, raises her up, and she is healed. This is Mark showing us the amazing authority and affection of King Jesus. That recreation of the world happens through resurrection. Recreation as resurrection. This woman is raised up. She was lying still in a death-like state with a fever. Jesus takes her hand, raises her up, just as Jesus would be raised up by the Spirit on the third day to rule and reign forever and to offer us life to the full. This is Mark telegraphing to us. Jesus is recreating the world, and he will be recreating the world through resurrection. Jesus will be raised up, and we will be raised up with him. This is a kingdom that goes through the cross. It goes through death, but then it goes through resurrection, and it shows us truly Jesus is not only true, but that he is good and beautiful. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that we can read your word and know in an instant we are changed by the power of your word. Spirit, that you are empowering God's word to change us, to transform us and conform us into the image of Christ. And so we would ask that you would do that work. We ask that you do that work this morning in our hearts. 
that we know that we can come to you with our sin and shame and we are healed. You're willing, that you're moved in pity and compassion for your people. And this is where we find ourselves standing amazed, ultimately seeing everything through your cross that you would die for us and be raised to new life and invite us into this story, greatest love story ever told, father loving his son and now his adopted family in and through Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.